When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Fourth and goal. And they're going to snap it. And it's Trey Burton who throws caught. Foles, touchdown. How do you figure? They go to the very, very, very back of the playbook for the touchdown. Oh, what an exciting time it is in our lives. Welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Myron Metcalf, Jonathan Harrison producing as always. And Myron, we have got ourselves a quarterback competition in training camp in Chicago. What a day it is. Are you excited? I, I'm, I mean, is Mr. Trubisky excited? I mean that's that's the question, right? No, but I uh, am. It's about time. I'm excited. Nick Foles, yeah, Trubisky. Maybe I'll just cover the Chicago Bears during training camp, and not the Vikings, because <laughs> I already know who the Vikings quarterback's going to be. Well, that's what the uh, general manager of the Chicago Bears said today on a conference call with their media: is that uh, we'll see Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky compete for the starting job for the Chicago Bears. And I love myself a good quarterback competition in part because I made my bones covering the Buffalo Bills. And boy, our quarterback competition's just entertainment from start to finish. If you have a QB competition, more likely than not, your team will not be. A- competing for a Super Bowl that season, which is how I would indeed look at the Chicago Bears for next year. But it creates a lot of drama and a lot of fun and preseason games worth watching for the Bears. So that's what we've got to work with today. Well, you know he's not going to be the starter. I mean, this is this is the Bears right, saying yes. that Mr. Trubisky isn't, will not be the starter in 2020 and they'll, they'll get rid of him uh, after the season. But it also shows, I think, how quickly, and Minnesota's dealt with this too, how quickly the window can change. Yep. You know, we talk so much about the window uh, and the Vikings in 2017 feeling like they had this window and the Bears were, you know, ahead of Minnesota. I mean, you bring in Khalil Mack because you think you have a chance to contend. They had that great defense. They're probably a field goal away against the Eagles from advancing and who knows what happens from there. Uh, and the idea was, you know, you're on a rookie deal with Mitch Trubisky. Let's try to create a Super Bowl team now. And it just shows how teams in this moment are going to invest to the best of their ability and try to salvage maybe what's left. Like, I don't think Chicago has a window anymore, but I think it just shows you how quickly that can change. Like Even though Mitch wasn't good, when that defense was cooking, 
uh, and he had some weapons, things were rolling, Chicago had a chance, and then it just disappeared. And now here they are going and getting, you know, Nick Foles. I don't even think it's 2.0. It's like negative 2.0 compared to the guy we saw in the Super Bowl and hoping that maybe he can help them salvage uh, what's left of this run for Matt Nagy. So I don't think either you or I was on board with jumping right in on the first day that you could even negotiate with free agents and signing Kirk Cousins to a contract extension because of what we've seen over the last two years in the bigger sample with Cousins and that there is very likely a ceiling on him. That, yeah, you could get to 10-6 and six and win a playoff game, but it's really hard to see you going much farther than that. The counterpoint that the Vikings would make would be, uh, what do you guys think's happening in Chicago right now? Because they played it by the book. You get the quarterback who's on the rookie contract. Then you spend like nuts. You get everything you possibly can. You draft weapons for the guy. You sign weapons. You get an offensive guru head coach. You do everything you possibly can. And if it clicks, if the guy is good, you end up being... Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, where he's all-time good and you win a Super Bowl, or even if he's just real good, uh, he can overcome all of your mistakes, like in Houston with Deshaun Watson. But if he's really bad, it doesn't matter how good the rest of your team is, you're going to be capped at eight wins and then eventually start scrambling to try and make something of this team before you're all fired, which is exactly what Ryan (laughs) Pace is looking at. And the answer is Nick Foles. Now, Where I would say they went the wrong direction here is that they told Teddy Bridgewater that he would have had to compete with Mitch Trubisky for the job. And Bridgewater said, you know what, I'm I'm done with this. I'm done with any chance that I could be a backup. I'm going to go to yeah. Carolina. I'm going to start. And you know what, even if I'm in a tough division, and even if we don't ha- you know, have quite as much success as I could potentially have here in Chicago, I want to have my second shot at being a starting quarterback. I don't understand Chicago's thinking and not saying to Teddy Bridgewater, all right, you're clearly better than Mitch Trubisky. The job is yours. Trubisky is benched. We're going to admit our failure and then just go forward here. Well, it does make sense if your uh, franchise is incompetent in terms of just how they approach these matters, right? Like, this is also the same team that didn't think Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson were better than Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, that's true. Uh, So... You know, that's how you end up in that situation where you feel like you're trying to like, and you know this, Colin, you deal with this more than I do. There is, you never underestimate the ego, right? Never Mm -hmm. underestimate people who want to be right. Even if it's three or four years later and it's clearly clear that they were wrong, right? There's, there's still this idea that, Hey man, if we can get something out of this guy, I'm sure there are people in that front office who their hope is, that somehow this wakes Mitch up and he he reaches his potential. But they all know you're bringing in Nick Foles to be the starter. But just getting over that ego sometimes is is the greatest uh, hurdle for a lot of these franchises, just feeling like they want to be able to say, hey, I told you so. But the Bears, again, Khalil Mack comes in, doesn't even have a full season, and he looks amazing. That defense was unstoppable. That was a really good team who – what are we talking about right now, Kyler, if they hit the field goal? Like, mm-hmm. what are we talking about? Like, maybe things are different. But that's how close they were to making a run. The team they lost to did make the run and won the Super Bowl that year. So you're right there, and you continue to invest as if the Super Bowl is within your grasp. And now it appears that, you know, you bring in Jimmy Graham. I don't know if that helps you at all. Jimmy Graham hasn't been great in a long time, but you bring in guys like that, overpay him. I think they gave Jimmy Graham a no-trade clause, too. They did, uh, yeah. All of Hilarious. a sudden, like, 
you're, you're trying to get the band back together, but it's clear to your point, if Mitch isn't good enough, none of that other stuff will matter. And now you're bringing in Nick Foles, hoping that maybe he's a slight upgrade. You can build on these rookie deals. And when you do it right, you're the Chiefs and you look amazing and you look really, really smart. However, most teams, I feel like, end up in this situation where you get the young quarterback, you try to surround him with a lot of pieces, and unless he is a next-level, all-pro kind of talent, you end up in year three in sort of this no-man's land. Like, where do you go? Do you try to hold out and maybe get a veteran? Uh, Do you surround him with more talent? It's a weird place to be. So I think if you're Minnesota, you appreciate that that's not the situation, even though you've underachieved. But I will say this. I'd love to go into 2020 at least knowing there's a plan B for Kirk Cousins. There's no way he would ever lose his job. But wouldn't you feel more comfortable if at least there was a viable option two uh, behind him? Depends on how galaxy brain you want to get with it. Because in a way, you could say, <laughs> you know, if there isn't an option, and let's say he gets hurt in week three, and you play Sean Mannion and go 3-13, and 13, can't think that that's too bad if you get your hands on Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence at the top of the draft, right? So there is that yeah. that element of it of why even bother having a viable backup quarterback. I also don't think that Cousins needs to be pushed or needs to be pressured or anything else like that. Uh, I don't think it matters who his backup quarterback is. With the RG3 stuff, he survived that and became a good quarterback. And then with no backup, essentially, and Sean Mannion, he has his best season last year. So I'm not sure I can draw any sort of connection between who's pushing him or not pushing him. He's a pretty driven guy to be successful uh, you know, in the first place. So I don't think that that's really a factor. It's more of, I look at the draft and say, would you want somebody that you'd love to find out just if... Kirk got hurt in week three and was out for the year. Would you love to be able to plug in Jake Fromm or Jalen Hurts and see if anything is there? Because Cousins doesn't have the no trade clause, and you could consider that the following offseason if you loved what you saw from someone like Jalen Hurts. That's the only way that I can sort of make this work. Uh, I think Cousins is just in a completely different conversation from someone like Mitch Trubisky. Like We know he's very, very good at football. The only question is, is he worth as much as they're paying him, and can you actually get over the hump if you have to pay him that much and not everybody else? Yeah, no, no, Kirk is not. I mean, I hope I wasn't implying that. Kirk and Mitch. Mitch, Mitch is... Mitch is one of those $5 DVDs, like you sort through it and you hope you get maybe a Forrest Gump, but most of them are terrible <laughs> movies. Like, like that. that's who he is, right? Um, and Kirk is a guy with all pro ability. I'm, I'm not in any way comparing the two. But I think everything you said works in a vacuum, right? I don't know if it completely works with this team and the experiences they've had with Kirk in years one and two. Say what you want about Stephon Diggs. He, he left. He didn't want to be a part of this, right? Yep, yep. And and your leader's a big part of that. Everson Griffin had a chance to come back, uh, and he said, no, I'm going to move on. Let's see what happens. We have yet, we have yet to hear. And it's not even about the Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins, was there drama there or not. We do not have a unifying morale around Kirk Cousins, right? Like, you just don't see it. And I think there is always the threat in that circumstance. When key leaders have left, likable guys in the locker room have left, if you struggle in year three, this to me, in terms of that locker room and what could happen, is the kind of team that could just go, uh-oh, here we go again. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm talking about when I reference a plan B. Is there someone in that locker room who can maybe get this team excited again in that worst-case scenario? 
Uh, and that it was the challenge I felt like in some ways last year. Yeah, you're a playoff team. You're making that push, but you still don't see that collective confidence behind Kirk Cousins. If you hit that point again, I mean, this year will probably be worse. In those circumstances, you'll lose some of those tight games without Diggs and some of the other pieces you've lost. Wouldn't you love to have a guy who maybe you go, okay, he's not Kirk necessarily, clearly, but maybe he gives us a spark. Maybe he comes in and he at least sort of restores the morale of this locker room and sort of that worst-case scenario. So for me, that's the situation I see potentially happening in 2020 with this team. It's not the first half of the season. or It's that Week 13 thing where it's like, if you don't start winning, if you don't win some of those games down the stretch, you're not in the playoffs, everybody gets fired, and the entire franchise changes. But perhaps in that scenario, if Kirk is the problem, now you've got someone who maybe has a chance to help you kind of salvage what's left of the season. Lamar Jackson, Joe Flacco is a good example of that with Harbaugh's about to get fired, right? I mean, that team was done, and then Lamar comes in and just changes everything with that organization. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point because if – this is the thing with, with Kirk's contract extension and just how it changes every way that we have to talk about this team, whether it's their timeline or Zimmer and Spielman or drafting a quarterback, that if he had not signed that contract extension, everything you were just saying right there, I feel like, absolutely. I mean, you should be drafting whoever drops to 22 or 25, whichever guy you like. And if it's Jalen Hurts, then it's Jalen Hurts. Or if it's Jordan Love for some reason, then it's Jordan Love. Whatever. Whoever it is, draft him with one of those first-round picks. In fact, that would have made the Diggs trade look good if that would have been the plan. Because I would have said all day, as much respect as I have for Stephon Diggs' talent, and I think he's one of the best in the league, if you were saying the reason we're trading him away is so we can use two first-round picks to trade up to get whoever, Tua or something, mm-hmm. I'd be saying, well, well, then do it. Yeah, I'd move on from any position player anytime if you gave me a chance to get Tua at the top of the draft. Um, but with his extension, that's where the even the plausibility of Kirk, if he's having a bad year, getting benched and someone else coming in and giving a little excitement to the fan base in the locker room, it just doesn't seem like it's possible that that they would that they would do that or that he would even happen even if they drafted Jalen Hurts in the third round which now I don't think he makes it but even if that happened that I, I couldn't see them benching Cousins I mean partly because of the contract extension and partly because that just doesn't happen anymore I mean it used to uh, Bill Walsh used to bench Joe Montana to get to him sometimes and throw in <laughs> Steve Young but we don't see that anymore for quarterbacks getting benched if they have the contract then they are going to be the guy going forward and that's why i think there's a feeling uh, among the fan base that and probably the locker room too that you kind of are in this position of being stuck in the middle right there with the chicago bears to tie it back into them if you're a chicago bears fan are you excited for this quarterback competition that's why i started the show facetiously like who's excited for that who's excited to see nick Foles and mitch trubisky battle it out for which quarterback can go nine and seven next year but if you're the vikings you can't exactly throw that stone because looking at your roster you you can't help but feel kind of the same way well, yeah, I mean, three years ago, if you're the Bears, you thought by now Mitch Trubisky would be entrenched as a starter, development as a good young quarterback, and you would be competing for the Super Bowl. You didn't expect sort of this Nick Foles move. Um, and I think clearly Minnesota looks like a team that's going to take a step back. What does that mean? Is that a team that gets to the playoffs, doesn't advance, a team that has a harder time advancing, maybe they win a game, 
uh, more than likely it feels like this is a team that's going to really have to fight to get into the playoff picture. But I think everything you said about Kirk Cousins and what could happen late in the season, uh, there's still that no trade clause, which doesn't exist anymore. So right. for me, if he is struggling at that point, and the idea is to potentially showcase him in the offseason, but you're also trying to salvage this season. I'm not saying this is a likely scenario. If you have someone behind him, there is that chance where you salvage if things completely go south. Because I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. I thought that this team in the first two years had a high ceiling, uh, but I didn't feel like the floor was extremely low. I still felt like this was a team where the worst you were probably going to see was what we saw maybe in year one with Kirk Cousins, kind of that 8-7-1 and kind of team. They weren't going to be much worse than that. Kyle, this feels different, though, right? This this group we're watching now feels like, you know, they're going to have to work a lot harder to even duplicate what they did last year, and it feels closer to year one, those 50-50 games, those plays down the stretch, maybe not having the weapons to get the job done, and now you're looking at that kind of 8-8 eight and eight season. So if you're going in that direction – and your head coach and general manager are trying to save their jobs, what leaders in that position tend to do is make moves, right? Even if they don't necessarily make sense because they want to at least give off the impression that they're trying something. And I don't think you can go into year three struggling in the second half of the season, not looking like a playoff team without Zimmer and or Spielman saying something has to be done. But to your point, there's not much you can do if there's no one behind him that's a viable option. Yeah, and that's why I have entirely advocated the draft of Jalen Hurts, even if you have to take him with that late second-round pick, because you don't have to look that far down the road to see ways out of Kirk Cousins, even if it is a couple of years of sitting for someone like Jalen Hurts, and then he does play out his entire contract. You're still thinking, well, that's a guy who could have a couple of years of development, and I bring his name up just because he's the one that everybody knows. He was in the the Heisman. There are other quarterbacks who are out there. You know, Anthony Gordon from Washington State might be a fourth round pick or something like that, or fifth round pick. But even that type of guy, you're right, it would bring some sort of intrigue to the table if you were going down the stretch and he was struggling. The thing with Kirk, though, is I, I just. I doubt that he's going to struggle so much that you would ever be saying, well, this is definitely Kirk Cousins' fault that they're 6-10. and 10. And you go back to his team in 2016 to 2017, the same exact thing happened. He was on a good 2016 team that had all sorts of receiving talent, had a great offensive line. The year later... Uh, Deshaun Jackson leaves, Pierre Garçon leaves, Trent Williams is banged up, Jordan Reed is banged up, and he ends up still going 7-9 and nine because that's, that's kind of who Kirk Cousins is, even though they didn't yeah. have a, a good uh, defense that year either, is that he's still a good enough quarterback to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, which is usually 6-8 to eight on any given schedule, any given year. And he's still going to do that. But 7-9 and nine is going to get everybody fired, though. Oh, of course. Right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that's what, that's what I'm saying. I mean... To me, there's there's the potential for desperation. You know, there's the, there's that potential uh, in weeks 11, 12. And, and I certainly think uh, Kurt could be viewed as the guy who, who again, has to really elevate. Diggs is gone. Uh, his team isn't as strong. Can he play to that next level? So I think in that worst-case scenario, a lot of crazy things can happen that are unexpected just because guys are trying to, Hold on to their jobs, you know. What do you think the gap is between Tua and Jalen Hurts? I know Tua is by far the is definitely the better prospect. 
uh, if he's healthy, once he gets healthy. But what's the real gap? Because this draft, to me, doesn't feel like it has the gap from rounds one to three that past years may have had. The thing that closes the gap in terms of, because I always look through everything of not what quarterback rating are you going to put up, but how many games would you win with that quarterback? The ceiling on Tua, I think, is, I mean, it's not, you can't quite say Drew Brees, but there's that same sort of feel of an undersized guy who is extremely accurate, really highly intelligent, a great A-plus leader. The difference between the way they play is the legs, that Jalen Hurts is a phenomenal runner. He's not on the level of uh, Lamar Jackson, but he is a great runner. So even if he struggles with some of the passing issues, the fact that he's willing to take off and make plays with his legs, you're probably talking about ceiling-wise. I think Tua is a guy who wins you 10-plus games a year, and Jalen Hurts probably has those pop-up years that he can win 10 to 12 games. This is absolute best-case scenario, but is more of an 8-8 eight eight quarterback. That's kind of how I yeah. see them, because Hertz does have some pretty serious concerns about holding on to the ball too much. People have compared him to Tyrod Taylor because of that. So if his ceiling is Tyrod Taylor, then I'll say 8-10 to 10 win type of quarterback. I think there is a pretty big gap between 8-10 to 10 wins is your max and 10-14 yeah. to 14 wins is your max. Um, I'll check and see who Pro Football Focus compared Tua to, just to get us a more objective view of that. But you know, I think there's, that gap I, think makes there's sense. A, I think there's a pretty decent sized gap between those two. No, that gap makes sense. But like Jalen Hurts to Jordan Love doesn't feel as significant. You know? I mean, oh, I definitely think not. I would take Hurts that, before Jordan Love. Really? Yeah, I, I would because I think that Jordan Love is going to throw a ton of interceptions in the NFL because history shows us that guys who throw picks in college, even when they're great prospects will come to the NFL and have that same exact problem. And even yeah. though he's got the big-time plays that are exciting, you can grab a lot of guys from college big-time throws that are exciting. Oh, he looked off the safety and he made this throw into this hole and everything else. Great. That's phen- he's got a phenomenal arm. There's no doubt about it. But when you can't elevate Utah State, I really yeah, have to question you. I mean, you go. how many small school quarterbacks have ever been successful? So we have... Not many. Ben Roethlisberger, he destroyed the MAC conference. Yep. Steve McNair put up all-time great records at what was it, Elkhorn State. Yep. Who else? Not many. Not many, many. Right. There are far more that have struggled. I mean, you even look at guys who were really good. Early, I mean, Flacco of Delaware, right, was really pretty good early on. Um, I, I mean, you could put him in that category. Win an MVP, win the Super Bowl. But like a Josh Allen, I think we're seeing a lot of the things we saw yes. with Josh Allen yep. in college where the thing that people missed with him was he got worse. <laughs> you know, yes. like in in his small conference, he got worse. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I don't think he won uh, all like first team quarterback in his conference in his last year. I, I think he won his second year, not his third year. So, no, you're always going to gamble going after uh, a small a guy from a smaller league who hasn't faced the same competition. Um, but this just feels like a year where clearly if you get Joe Burrow, clearly if you get Tua, you might be getting future franchise quarterbacks. But the rest, why not go after a guy like a Jalen Hurts? You know, Because I think he has as much potential as the rest of the guys uh, behind Tua and Burrow. Well, if you just travel down the different paths and you say, all right, let's say that you draft Jalen Hurts and Kirk Cousins does the thing that we're not really sure he's ever been able to do. 
And he does elevate everyone. B.C. Johnson has 75 catches. And Tajay Sharp has 60. And Adam Thielen goes to another Pro Bowl and is all pro. And Delvin Cook gets another 50, 60 catches. And and all of a sudden... Irv Smith, man. Don't forget him. Irv Smith. No, that's right. I actually had this in my article the other day that... You know, Irv Smith was on a pace over six weeks for something like 60 or 70 catches uh, when Adam Thielen was out. So he really did step up and was quite successful. So let's just say, let's just go down that road and say that uh, Kirk Cousins does step up. The defense struggles, but Kirk is on fire, and he's him and Gary are just best friends. They're fishing together on the weekends and then kicking (laughs) ass on Sundays, and all of a sudden they're 11-5 and or they're 12-4, and and you drafted Jalen Hurts. Well, you can trade Jalen Hurts, or you can still look farther down the road and say, you know, this probably won't last forever with Kirk. He'll be 35 by the next contract, so we still would consider turning it over. Or you can say to all the other quarterback-desperate teams, like the ones that say trade for Nick Foles, and say, we've got a quarterback that we drafted that we don't need anymore because we just went 12-4 and with Kirk, and he played amazing. I mean, there's there's no real downside to doing that, and then if he really, really struggles and you win six games, you can look to potentially trade him to, again, an extremely desperate team. There's always going to be somebody who's interested in trading for your quarterback. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely uh, an asset to have. I mean, you don't want to be the Bears. Here's what the Bears prove, too, man, is how hard it is to find a franchise quarterback. Like, you know, we always highlight the ones who've done it successfully, and consistently, the Packers in modern football over the last 20, 25 years, the Patriots, obviously, what they were able to do. But there are a lot of teams like Chicago that just haven't figured it out in 30 years, 40 years, you know? And and that, to me, is what the Vikings have really struggled with. And, and I think that's why, although the Kirk Cousins extension didn't feel like it had to be done, I also understand that this is sort of a new sense of stability that mm-hmm. this franchise yeah. has had. Yep. I mean, I can't think of the last time there was a quarterback who played four or five, six years, and you were like, okay, that's the guy moving forward. Yeah, even so Dante there's something to be said about up that. And down. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and there's uh, value in that. So let me a- I'll ask you a question that you can answer on the other side, and then we have hot routes. And I will give you the answer to who um, Pro Football Focus, they do co- comparables, who they compared Tua to in a few minutes when I could get this to fully uh, load on my computer. Okay. But, um, it's snowing. Internet's probably slow. Well, it's, you have to... This is not a complaint because the amount of information is amazing that they provide, but you have to load it as a PDF, and it just is oh. like 7,000 pages. They're draft guides. Like, all right, we'll get this in a minute. Yeah. Everyone just let's sit here quietly and wait. Be patient. You've got lots of time. You're quarantined. But here's the question that I want to ask you is... Let's say that that situation that I just laid out, that they go 12 and 4, let's yeah. say that that actually happens. Like, how will it have happened? Like, what is, what, what is the path to that? Is there one? Is there something that they still need to do? Is there something that they could make a move that would convince you that that is in the realm of possibility? Because I think you've been one of the more skeptical people about this, and I don't disagree with you, uh, but I want to go down the other path and say, well, what would they have to do between now and then to make that happen? So let's take a break. You can answer that on the other side. Plus, got some uh, interesting hot route questions for you when we return. It's Purple Daily on Score North. Hey, Score North listeners. It's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need 
when you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever, like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. You can join Score North tomorrow night at 7 p.m. right here on scorenorth.com and the free Score North mobile app for Loon Night in Minnesota. The MLS season may be temporarily on hold, but that doesn't mean we can't support our loons. Grab your favorite scarf, put on your best kit, and join us as we re- replay Minnesota United's second win of the season over San Jose tomorrow night at 7 p.m. on scorenorth.com and the free Score North mobile app, also over at scorenorth.com and on the free Score North mobile app. Judd Zolgad and Matthew Collar have been dominating the Vikings writing over there, including Matthew Collar's articles on Gary Kubiak and whether the Vikings can afford to pass on a top wide receiver in this year's draft. Also, Judd Zolgad's five-part series documenting five trades the Vikings felt forced into making at the time. The latest one goes way back in time to the Vikings trade of Ed White to the Chargers, so go check those out. They're all for free over at scorenorth.com and the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. All right, Myron, you got a guess on who PFF compared Tua to, their draft comparison. Well, you threw out Drew Brees. so I mean, It's not was... Drew Brees. It's it's not it's not Drew Brees, Russell Wilson ish maybe mm, no, no. Um, run run as much it's not uh, not yeah not as fast not as um, fast I'm not it's, it's I'm not, not a sure. fast quarterback and I don't Andrew think Tua Luck. really is Andrew Luck is a good guess it's Matt Ryan okay yeah I like that yeah so I mean if you're drafting a guy who's let's just say it's the ceiling is Matt Ryan he's a franchise quarterback for 15 years and can take you to a Super Bowl you are You'll signing up for that yeah. and uh, the comparison was Tyrod Taylor for Jalen Hurts and we know that someone like Taylor is good but also has a ceiling on him I would take that with the hope that you could uh, put enough around him eventually if that was your plan or maybe it goes bust maybe it's somebody like Brian Brom or Brett Hundley yeah. or the many other second round quarterbacks Deshaun Kaiser who have just not worked out and you go okay well we thought he might be good but he wasn't uh, my question to you before the break was is there something between now and the start of the NFL season, whenever that might be, uh, yeah. that could convince you that you would put any odds on the Vikings having a great season and Kirk Cousins leading them to even more success than he had last year? Uh, Trent Williams is traded. No, he's possible. the anchor of your offensive line. It's possible. Um, because I, I think the the scenario of them being a 12-win team is... Uh, Kirk has to be one of the most protected quarterbacks in the league. I, I think it would tell everything's offense offensive for me because I think the the best hope for your defense to me would be you plug in some of the holes. Your top twelve ish in terms of efficiency. Your defense is pretty good, not great, but it's not a burden. And I would say the same thing about special teams. But offensively, I think you would need Kirk to be protected. And bringing a guy like Trent kind of changes the makeup of your offensive line. You need 17 games out of Dalvin Cook. I think you need him healthy for a complete season uh, to be one of the best backs in the league, which I think he can be that. And then I think you'd also need, beyond what you expect, you expect a healthy Adam Thielen to get back to an all-pro kind of level. Uh, you know, you, you expect 
you know, some of the guys who performed in the past, but you need a BC Johnson or an Irv Smith, somebody to have a breakout year as well. But they'd have to be, to me, a top three offensive unit yeah. in the entire NFL, one that just had the ability to bulldoze vulnerable teams and they had that opportunity, which I think in the past the Vikings have struggled with that to really kind of step on your neck. But I think that would have to be the kind of offense they had to win 12, 13 games where you just really exploited those opportunities. One way that I started thinking about just projecting things forward and odds of different things is sort of the baseball, a thousand simulations. That's what the old baseball prospectus people would do. Well, at a thousand simulations, we get 84 wins for the Atlanta Braves this year, right? Uh, and, And so I think of it the same way. Like a thousand simulations of the Vikings season. We come out with, I don't know, a hundred where that happens and Irv Smith becomes a superstar and they get Trent Williams and whoever they draft in the second round wide receiver is a superstar right away. And then all of a sudden we feel like they've got weapons coming out of their ears. If Adam Thielen is healthy and Alexander Madison's still good, and you can really talk yourself into this. And on Madden, if you turn injuries off, you could make this into a, quite a good offense. But then there's a reason why I would only say a hundred out of a thousand would be the ones where I could see that happening because the other way of looking at it is if you don't get someone like Trent Williams, still seems like a long shot though plausible, but if you don't get Trent Williams, you're talking about the same level of offensive line play as you've had or possibly even worse because right now you don't have guards. Josh Klein is not back on the team even though they there was a report that they might try to re-sign him. But if I'm Josh Klein, I'm like, no way. I'm going to sign somewhere else. <laughs> you know, why, 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 am I, why am I coming back after you guys cut me for cap purposes? Yeah. But even then, there's, just, there's no replacement for guards. You could draft a tackle, but that's probably not going to work out in year one. And you know, Dalvin Cook playing 16 games seems unlikely based on his recent history. Adam Thielen being able to dominate the number one role is, again, possible, and he'll probably still be very good, but dominate it the same way that Julio Jones does in Atlanta? Like, No, probably not. Or that Andre Johnson used to do for Kubiak in, in Houston? Probably not. So that's where you could talk yourself into it uh, and talk yourself into, oh, you just do that, and then Kirk is set up for the next three years. Will you rebuild the defense? But that seems like a long shot for all of that stuff to click at once. Yeah, it does. I mean, a lot of variables there. I think an extension of that scenario to me is dominating the division as well. You know, is this the kind of league where you can go five and one? But potentially, I mean, Detroit, Chicago, not expecting a ton from ton from them. And I still think the Packers had a lot of luck in what happened last year in terms of the position they ended up in. I think they had a you know solid ceiling, but. I don't still don't think the Packers were a great team last year. Uh, and I think if you can split there, win the rest of your divisional games, dominate, then I think that puts you in a better position. But I think overall we all expect this team to be in the same situations they've been in in the first two years with Kirk Cousins. You're going to have some opportunity to get those easy wins, but against better teams, uh, you're going to have to make some of those clutch plays that have been 50-50 with this franchise. Like to me, Kyler, like, what's the change in year three? Like, what makes anyone believe that, okay, going to the fourth quarter down seven against the team, like, why am I believing that the Vikings are going to somehow over under those circumstances when that they struggled with in years one and two? And year two was a better team than I think the one we'll see in year three. So it's hard to imagine a scenario of them playing this out-of-this-world football. But then again, a San Francisco 49ers team, 49ers team went 4-12, and made the Super Bowl. So you never know. 
Yeah, because they went four and twelve because they had Nick Mullins playing their quarterback. True. Right. I was trying really reaching for what that guy's name was, like <laughs> yeah. Nick. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So uh, right, it, things can turn around quickly, but um, asking them to run through the NFC North, even with Nick Foles the quarterback, well, this is the Nick Foles who. Let you up once upon a time. It is a defense that beat you last year with Chase Daniel at quarterback. Um, I mean, this is a team on offense that, like you said, with Diggs, they have a better offense last year than this year. And there were still way too many times where there was no offense to be spoken of. In Kansas City, the first half against Denver, where you get down 20 points. Uh, Green Bay at the end of the season. And this is always a Kirk Cousins staple is no matter how many good players you give him, that there will be four or five games a year where your offense sputters so much to the point where it's really hard to win. And in this case, they hoped, I'm sure when they signed him, that the defense would be so good they could make up and win some of those games 13-6. to and it yeah. hasn't been. And it certainly won't be next year, even if Zimmer gets it turned around. So let's uh, let's get into some hot routes here, though, because, you know, it's Friday and we need hot routes. That's a happy conversation we just had. Yeah, I know. For well, all these snowed out uh, Vikings fans. Snowing? <laughs> like, I was shooting hoops yesterday and it was 58 degrees or something. I was thinking, like, oh, okay, I could deal with this coronavirus thing. And then look out there this morning and it's snowing. <laughs> The only one that was happy about it is my dog. She likes to play in the snow. So, nice. All right, well, let's end it with hot routes then. Dial it up, Jonathan. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Greg, Greg, Greg! Greg Pauly! Blue Poncho! In rapid-fire fashion. Run, flex, right, stack. 394, dragon smoke. It's Hot Routes on Purple Daily. 588! 397! By the way, I just wanted to add one like side point to what we were just talking about. Is if Kirk Cousins made half the money that he makes, then they would probably be able to put an offense around him that we could actually think about that conversation. So I just just wanted true. to tack tack that That's on. That true. Anytime we talk about Cousins, it's not is he good at football. It's always yeah. him, his skill set, his talent, the offense, what they could put around him, the money, all those things. So all right, ramp up the NFL music, and we will go ahead forward. All right, so we take things around the league and we spin them sometimes to ourselves, sometimes to NFL history, whatever way we can. I want to start out with my old pal Sammy Watkins. I was uh, in Buffalo when they traded up to draft him the fourth overall pick. And, you know, he's not really been a fourth overall pick level wide receiver. But, man, does he know how to make himself some money. And uh, Sammy Watkins reworked his contract with the Chiefs, one of the best contracts from a player perspective that there was. And uh, now they create cap space. But in return, Mr. Watkins gets a no-trade clause, so he will continue playing with Patrick Mahomes. Savvy, savvy agent. Uh, His catch from the Super Bowl, by the way, was worth whatever they've had to pay him. It will go down as one of the forgotten amazing plays, but he beats Richard Sherman off the line of scrimmage. Patrick Mahomes drops it in perfectly. Beautiful. And that gets overshadowed by the throw to Tyree Kill that was just all-worldly, never will be forgotten. I want you guys to give me a somewhat forgotten Super Bowl play that was amazing, but overshadowed by other things for whatever reason. Go ahead, Mike. Well, uh, first off, Sammy Watkins, I mean, he knows how to get money. I mean, you got to give him, give him a lot of credit for that, to your point. Uh, I, I think it was a very sexy play. I mean, I think it was two. 
and it was uh, down the stretch of the, this Super Bowl. It was Chris Jones and those batted balls, which I felt like were very underrated in terms of. But I watched Super Bowl again on Sunday uh, because we don't have anything to do in America right now, <laughs> no, no, and we're all really looking don't. for things to do. And I kept rewinding how many times that Kansas City defensive line in the first half got so close to batting down some of those Garoppolo balls. Like yep. they were, it was. It seemed like in the second half when it happened, it was one of those things where it was happening randomly, you know? Yeah. But, like, watching the first half again, like, you can see the strategy behind it. And they are getting so close to knocking down some of those passes. And and then all of a sudden, late in the second half, it starts to work. Uh, and I think, to me, that may not like a big deal, but I think that's what stopped the momentum. Like, all of a sudden, Garoppolo's thinking about, you know, not just – uh, getting to his target, making the right throw, finding the right window. Now he's thinking about whether or not he can get the ball past the line of scrimmage. And I think that mentally changed that game in the fourth quarter for the Chiefs. Just sudden, this new threat that they've been working toward all game, but they started finally having some success with that, and Chris Jones was a big part of that uh, down the stretch. And it also felt like knocking down a couple of his passes just made their offense sort of tighten up and, and feel yeah. a little bit panicked. Yes. Like, oh no, yep. oh no, we're doing that thing that we've been thinking about on the sideline <laughs> as we're you know watching Mahomes struggle. And, and if you're in that position, 10 points up in the fourth quarter, all anyone's thinking about is, do not choke this away, do not choke <laughs> this away. And if you're moving the 28 ball... 28-3. Yeah, right, if you're moving the ball still on offense, you're going like, okay, well... They're not going to come back on us. They're a great quarterback while well, he's standing on the sideline. But you get a pass knocked down, stop the clock, everybody's looking around, and it definitely gave the feeling, even at home watching it myself, like, okay, they're giving Mahomes here another chance. How about you, Jonathan? Forgotten Super Bowl plays that need more attention. Uh, I have two of them here. Plaxico Burris' game-winning touchdown catch against the Patriots. Uh, it's overshadowed because of that David Tyree catch like six plays earlier. Oh, but sure. It's, yeah. it's not really the most flashy play. He just runs like a corner route and just gets free against a really good defensive uh, backfield of the Patriots. But I think if I remember correctly, Burris was playing on a sprained ankle or something, so he still had to run a good enough route with that ankle. And then a couple Super Bowls earlier, Devin Hester returning the opening kickoff against the, the Colts. It gets overshadowed because his team ended up losing, but still, yeah. returning the opening kickoff in the Super Bowl for a touchdown is pretty spectacular. No, that's that's a couple of very very good selections. Um, Corey Clement running a what they call a rail route, just sort of like a wheel, except for you cut it a little bit short, and uh, Nick Foles dropping it in there to him for I don't know what it was a thirty yard touchdown pass. Yeah. It was an incredible throw and catch by a running back out of the backfield. That game was so back and forth by the Patriots and Eagles, and we only really remember Philly special as, and then the fumble at the end by uh, Tom Brady on the final drive. But that throw to and, and the Zach Ertz thing that was controversial and probably shouldn't have been a catch, but they changed the catch rule out of nowhere. Um, so it goes forgotten, but it was an incredible play that I remember going back and watching, saying, "Wow." What a what a throw and catch. And Corey Clement, of all people. Um, Brady had an amazing throw to Rob Gronkowski to set up the dagger field goal, I believe, for the Patriots in the 2019 Super Bowl that 
their defense was so good they got all the credit. Everybody forgot about it. Um, and now I am totally blanking on who made this catch. Right before they don't give the ball to Marshawn, there was a throw down the right sideline. Was it Marshawn who made the catch? Someone it was to, Marshawn. It, it Remember, was, right? that was the surprise. Yeah, yeah but that's people right. were like shot. It was Marshawn, yeah. unbelievable catch. And I feel like there was one more. There was one. Marshawn's might have been down the left sideline, and there was one more down the right sideline. Someone is going to have to help me with that one for who it was that made that catch. But a couple of plays in that game that are so incredible, and then you, you know they don't run Marshawn, and that is the way that that whole thing is completely defined, is just not giving the ball to him. So, there, I mean, there are dozens the Pittsburgh Steelers came out in, I think it was 95, and kicked an onside kick and got it. And Neil O'Donnell throws a pick six, and it ends there. But the onside kick was so gutsy to go for and such a cool play. But no one's ever going to remember that when the Dallas Cowboys won another Super Bowl. So there you have it. That's Can I have one more quick? Oh, go ahead. Uh, insert yeah, one more just really quickly. we got time. Uh, not just a Desmond Howard kick return. Super Bowl 31 for the Packers. And the win over the Patriots, everyone remembers that. I mean, that was the one that helped him win Super Bowl MVP. But it was the second return uh, that he could have scored on. He didn't. But it got to like the 43-yard line, maybe maybe inside the 40-yard line, that to put the Packers in perfect field position, they scored again. A lot of people forget about his second big return. Everyone knows the touchdown, but the second big return changed the field position game for the Packers, too. I'll throw another one on top of it. I, because I was watching Bruce Smith's A Football Life the other day. Jeff Hostetler in the uh, Super Bowl where Norwood misses wide right. Hostetler gets sacked in the end zone for a safety. But Bruce Smith slapped his wrist with his hand on the football so hard. And somehow Jeff Hostetler didn't fumble. If he fumbles, the Bills recover for a touchdown. They'll probably win the Super Bowl. Somehow he hits him so hard. Imagine Bruce Smith hitting you on the wrist. And he holds on to the football and it's a safety instead of a... A touchdown. So little little things that go forgotten in the Super Bowls are the best. Uh, next question. Ty Law said that Peyton Manning once tried to get him drunk and ask him about the Patriots' defense. Peyton is ruthless. Uh, if there was one former player who you'd love to get some secrets from and sit down at an establishment for a few hours, who would it be? It has to be Lawrence Taylor for me. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if he has many secrets. But I guess he yeah, kind of yeah, tell you. Uh, well, we only, he, he I think we only know the half. You. I think that's a yeah, good selection. I think, <laughs> I think he'd, I think he'd tell you some stories that you just, uh, you, you'd never anticipate. Um, and I think my second pick would actually be someone who we just don't think of as much of a talker. I'd love to talk to Eli Manning, just because. You know, we don't really know private Eli. We don't really know what it was like to be that guy in New York. You know, he he just hasn't really, you know, done the things that a lot of people in his position did over the course of their careers. But I think it'd be interesting to talk to him about just what it was like to be that guy, man, in in New York. I covered his first preseason game in New York City. I was an intern at ESPN the magazine, and there was just so much buzz, man. It was just it was just crazy. And he did that for, what, 16 years? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would love to sit down and talk with him and and uh, Lawrence Taylor. Jonathan? Uh, personal reasons, Brett Favre just want to talk to him about whatever in his career. Yeah. I mean, this one's almost realistic. Just if, find yeah. Brett Favre. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it would be a long session because he's going to talk for a while. Um, other than that, probably Rob Gronkowski because I want to know what happened in the Patriots locker room between Brady and Belichick. Yeah. And I know yeah. probably if you could get him some alcohol... Gronk might tell you. 
Again, another guy that's very hard to be found with some alcohol, for sure. Rob Gronkowski. Um, you know, I, I struggled with my own question here. <laughs> but I came up with an answer that I think is somewhat unique. I would love to ask Barry Sanders why he quit. Like, Get the real oh, yeah. answer. He's never really talked about it. He's mostly quiet when he gets asked about it. Well, you know, it wasn't the right time, or I didn't want to keep playing for this or that. But I've never really felt like I understood Barry Sanders as a guy at all and why he decided he just wanted to stop playing because that was that was like a childhood crushing moment when Barry Sanders just said, no, I'm not playing anymore. No, I'm good. So yeah, the in the inner workings of the Lions organization from him or even Calvin Johnson would be quite fascinating. And then, I mean, even from a Vikings perspective, just Case Keenum on Mike Zimmer railing on him the whole 2017 season. <laughs> I'd love to ask Case, what'd you really think of that? <laughs> what did you really think of him saying that you had a horseshoe around your neck? Uh, all right, next <laughs> next question. The uh, Bills will apparently watch a Stefan Diggs highlight reel with the number 22 pick when that comes up. They're just going to watch a bunch of Stefan Diggs highlights, and then they'll all congratulate themselves, and uh, that'll be fun, I guess. Which non-quarterback in the NFL right now has the best highlight reel? Non-quarterback. I mean, Tyree Kill has some crazy, crazy plays, man. I mean, he, obviously before the Super Bowl, it made him kind of a, a star. But uh, I think you, know, you look at just what he's done throughout the year and his speed. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me to watch someone who is that much faster than everybody else on mm-hmm. an NFL field. Yeah. You know, like just like college football is extremely fast, right? And to see NFL teams, it's just the next level. And to watch a guy who, you know, is just two or three steps ahead of everybody else, it's fascinating. But I think he's had some, you know, really, really uh, amazing hits. I I, I would say uh, Lamar Jackson, but he is an actual quarterback, not a wide receiver Mm. like people thought he would be. But, yeah, Tyreek would be on my list, man, as a guy who just has a pretty cool YouTube reel. Jonathan? Uh, For me, I've got two of them. Aaron Donald, just because I want to see how offensive linemen just get worked by this guy week in and week out. And then I don't want to see his pro football reel. I want to see Derrick Henry's high school highlight reel when he, when he ran for 12,000 yeah. yards in four seasons. Just see him run for 4,000 yards in his senior season is ridiculous in, in, what, 13 games? Just see that mammoth of a dude just run over high schoolers. One of my first gigs ever was a high school, just doing play-by-play and color for a high school. And they had a kid who ultimately ended up going D3. But there was some talk, like maybe D1 would want him. He ran past everybody. And he only he was just not even a great D3 player and ran past everyone. And when someone does that in high school, it's so ridiculous to watch. Like This guy was just faster than everyone. They handed him the ball. So Derrick Henry is multiplying that by about 50. Uh, that That's a good good selection. I'm going to go and say that we don't give two wide receivers enough credit in this world, and that is Julio Jones and A.J. Green, for being just the absolute best freakish monster dream wide receivers that anyone would ever want ever. And A.J. Green, poor guy, has played his whole career with Andy Dalton and whoever else has filled in. A.J. McCarron filled in for him at a time and never had a great quarterback. And now he's past his prime. He's had the injuries. I would have loved to have seen even his highlight reel with a great quarterback. But A.J. Green's a guy we, Myron, I think we just totally underrate. 
man, I mean, the guy didn't play. It didn't seem like he wanted to play. Who could blame him this year with Cincy? But Cincy was like, no, nah, you're staying. <laughs> we're going to give right. Joe Burrow yeah, a target, right. man. You're not. We're not letting you go. Here's that franchise tag. Yeah, man. He. I mean, we used to talk about AJ like we talk about Julio and Odell. And, and then the injuries piled up playing in Cincinnati. You kind of fall off the face of the earth. But, no, AJ had some some moments, man. I mean, that dude healthy is the real deal. And I think Joe playing next to him, uh, that's going to be a great combo. All right, last question, and uh, we'll make it real quick here. Blaine Gabbert is going to be Tom Brady's backup. What? Uh, Blaine Gabbert is still around, apparently. I want you guys to give me a quarterback who you knew from the start was going to be a bust, and you were completely right. Well, I mean, I think my guy is kind of the jury is maybe still out. Uh, I would have picked Josh Allen mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just what we thought he would be. But I also thought Mitch Trubisky was going to struggle. You know, I didn't Same. think he would. Yep. Yeah, I didn't think he had it. You know, after one year basically of starting in North Carolina, which wasn't even that great. Was it North Carolina? Wasn't. Ah, uh, well, it's okay. so he looks the part. Deshaun Watson barely showed anything in college. <laughs> Yeah, Mitch Mitch looked the part He certainly did I'm going to go with Josh Freeman This goes back a little bit But he won five games his final year at Kansas State And yet everybody fell in love with him Going into that 2009 draft Couldn't pass for over 3,000 yards in the Big 12 And the NFL fell in love with him Probably because he started rushing for touchdowns His final year, his rushing total Jumped from like 2 to 14 In that final season in college but still, Josh Freeman going in the first round after one decent year in college when he still couldn't pass for over 3,000 yards in the Big 12 confused me at the time and turned out to be right. I used to have a way of doing this uh, that was unscientific. It was, have I ever heard of that guy? And if the answer was no, <laughs> then I would figure he was going to be a bust. And Blake Bortles, it, the same year, I had yeah. I had ones where I felt really great about myself and ones where I felt... Uh, that I totally botched it. I thought Manziel would have been good and super fun in the NFL. Nope. Uh, but Bortles, I never heard of this guy. Oh, he's big and giant and throws it real hard. Okay, yeah, sure. Central Florida, right? Uh, but then Bridgewater, I was very much in on Bridgewater, and um, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, and that's why it's fun. But Bortles was one that just checked all the boxes of this guy's going to be a massive bust, and uh, he was. All right, Myron, fun as always, and uh, I just want to remind you that your invitation is always open during quarantine to pop in whenever you like, so let me know. I will definitely next week. All right, sounds good. Um, Judd Zolgad, come up next. Last night, the Minneapolis Miracle was on TV, and Judd and I watched it, so we're going to talk about it when we return, because it's Friday and everything's bad, so we'll be right back. The American Red Cross continues to face a severe blood shortage due to the coronavirus pandemic. Healthy blood and platelet donors are asked to please give now. Donating blood is safe, and blood banks remain open across the Twin Cities metro. To schedule an appointment, visit scorenorth.com, keyword red, to learn more and to give blood. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. steps into it, passes,
All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad joined in studio. And the reason that we played that particular soundbite is that last night, the Minneapolis Miracle Game was on Fox Sports 1, and all of Vikings Twitter uh, in my timeline was watching the game back all at once. And it reminded me of so many things, a flood of memories coming back. And I thought, you know what, Judd? Look outside right now. It's gray. It's ugly. It was snowing. We need to spend a good portion of time here on today's show talking about the Minneapolis Miracle because you you and I were both there. Yep. And there were so many darn things that happened in that game that are so memorable for some of them and then others that sort of get lost and then when you bring them up or when you watch it again you go that's right i forgot about that yep and i i wanted to ask you because you were tweeting about it last night where you want to start i want to go with the things <laughs> that get forgotten about that game yep that are kind of great or notable or interesting um that stick out to us so where do you want to start i want to start with with a statement and that statement is how was this not the vikings version of of 41 donut the opposite in watching that first quarter the saints look awful yep breeze is not good i I believe he was old for his first six and i think pass number six was actually a nice uh pick by andrew sandejo the vikings are dominant absolutely dominant 17 nothing and it could have been an easily um should have been 21 rip so i want to start with that statement of of when you consider a tale of two halves, and with where that game started, and that building going crazy, and the Saints looking absolutely lost, it is amazing that the second half of that game shifted that completely. And, and as a sports fan, preferable game. So, like, if the Vikings win 35 to nothing or something, as a sports fan, not that much fun. As a Vikings fan, it's great. So, I'm not complaining, but I am amazed in seeing that unfold again, that that did not become, because it certainly could have been, a complete route, Matthew. Oh, it most certainly could have been. Uh, And when, at that point, when you and I are sitting there and Latavius Murray scores a one-yard touchdown to make it 17-0, I'm saying I can't believe the Saints right now. The Saints were unbelievable in the regular season, and Breeze had just had another incredible year. He's driving to uh, down the field, and then he throws the pick where I think it's tipped or he's pressured, and it just doesn't look anything like Drew Breeze in any way, shape, or form. And when they get up 17 to nothing, there was a feeling that, like you said, it was going to be a rout, and they went into halftime at 17 nothing. But I also remember having a conversation with you saying this is not over because, if I'm not mistaken, the Saints got the ball back at after halftime or something like that. Or okay. they were, they might have been getting the ball back I've got or the game whatever book it was. For and this conversation. Okay. we were saying, okay, this thing, this thing is in really good shape for the Vikings, but this is not over because of who plays for the other team. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know exactly who got the ball uh, in the second start, half there. The third quarter? In the third quarter. But the Vikings didn't punt it. But the Saints score the next touchdown. Yes. And that comes off of the Case Keenum interception, correct? And that's where things start to start to swing, is Keenum throws the pick. Mm-hmm. And I've got to get my order right. I've got to get the box score up here. But Keenum throwing the pick. What was really interesting about that was all year long, Mike Zimmer had talked about in the media <laughs> yes. the risky throws that yes. Case Keenum made that 
I mean, I could think of a dozen of them right off the top of my head. There was one in Detroit where Keenum rolled out and rolled out and rolled out and held the ball for about 10 seconds before finally throwing it. And I think Adam Thielen or Kyle Rudolph jumped up and made the catch. There's another one in Los Angeles where someone asked Keenum, did you know where Thielen was when you threw it? Oh, of course I did. Of course I saw him. No, you didn't. (laughs) We went back and looked at the tape like, Unless he's got eyeballs that are like, um, you know, on on a crane or something. Yep. There's no way he could have seen him. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you where where I thought the door is still open is Forbath actually misses a field goal before half that could have made it a 20-point game. Mm-hmm. And when he misses that because Keenum took a bad sack, mm-hmm. I had this feeling of, all right, well, the Saints are still in this game, and we've got a long time to go. And then when Keenum throws that interception, you end up with the blocked punt, and then everything starts rolling for there. Uh, a few things that I remembered from last night that I had not thought of in a long time. One was the injury to Nick Easton was something that we were all very concerned about. In Green Bay. Which sounds funny now, but he goes out, and that just reshuffled the offensive line completely. And to you- your credit when when Easton got hurt in that game around Christmas, right? Yeah, at Lambeau yep, Field, yep. you and I were down. You there, looked yep. at me and said, "This is really bad." And I thought to myself, "Really that bad?" And you said, "This is not good." And it was immediately be- became a debate because there were certain folks who said, "Ah, Nicky, ah, it's not that big of a deal." And you were like adamant that this w- was going to be a big deal. And then, if I'm not mistaken, Matthew Collar. They moved Remmers off of that, right? They did. And, they, and, and Remmers had had a decent year at right tackle, had, and they and, moved him inside. And that actually, I think, in some ways, compounded it, because he was what I would describe as a competent right tackle. The ask to play guard that suddenly threw him off a bit. Yes, and even when he had a whole offseason to play guard the following year, he couldn't play guard. He yeah. just was not a guard. He had never done it in his life. And so he was moved over there. That was a disastrous game for him. Rashad Hill was thrown in at right tackle. At that point, Rashad Hill had barely played in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He, I think, started in Detroit, and there might have been a couple of games where Remmers got hurt, and he went in and played. But aside from that, the guy had barely ever played. He was a practice squad player for Jacksonville, undrafted, and now in a playoff game, he's got to play Cameron Jordan. And I remember going back and looking at it and saying, Jordan demolished him a few times. But give that guy some credit for not giving up, like, five sacks. I mean, it was amazing that they made that decision because they had Jeremiah Searles, our buddy, on the roster, and he could play any position. So why they didn't have Searles go in and play guard, I will never really understand. And it hurt them big time in Philadelphia. I'll give you another thing that came right to mind, too, and then we can dive deeper into um, the second-half quarterback play of Drew Brees. Mm -hmm. But... The punter becoming a folk hero was one of the coolest things to come from that. Thomas Morstead. Did you remember, though? And I didn't. So so he got hurt on his first punt. Sheryls is breaking away. And Morstead basically, I think, saved a potential touchdown. I don't recall from the press box being nearly as aware as I was last night in watching the replay, though. He immediately grabbed his rib and and broke his rib, right? Yeah. And then every punt... He would punt and grab his wrist. Yes, I do remember. I yeah. didn't recall him yep. being hurt that that bad until well after the because fact. Because he punted and, well. Yeah, and watching it last night, though, again, for the first time, that takes some real 
guts, literally, to keep punting with a broken rib. And it was one of the cooler things that after that, Morstead, a lot of people started donating money yep. to his foundation. And then I believe he came up to Minnesota and gave all the money to the, the Super Bowl. The, yeah, that's right. And the, he um, came back on the field. He he was one of about, what, eight guys yeah. that came from the locker room back on the field for the two-point conversion where Case kneeled down. Yes, and I think he was playing like defensive end or something. He was, he was yeah. lined up as defensive I think end. You're right. But that that was the gutsiest performance that you will ever see out of a punter. Okay, so second half though, we got to talk about Drew Brees in the second half. Yes, because I saw someone tweet me last night that that quarterback play in the second half was about as good as it, you'll ever see in your life. And I don't know about you, because you covered Brett Favre, and that, that's a, a different level of quarterback. And my previous experience was in Buffalo. So we have different level of quarterback play that we've covered in our journalistic careers. But I've never seen a quarterback in front of my eyes play better than Drew Brees did in the second half of that game. True. Let me ask you this, though. What do we think? Because Brees was fantastic. And Brees deserves, if there's credit to be doled out for the Saints' second-half comeback against the Vikings in the Minneapolis Miracle, let's say Brees deserves 75%. But what did Sean Payton find? That's the one thing. Hmm. Because Sean Payton, to be clear, I think he's a jerk. I don't think he's a good guy, all right? But offensively, he's incredibly smart. And he's been doing this a, a long time. And that first-half performance by Zim's defense, Matthew, was so dominant at times and so good, and that place was deafening, and the Saints look lost, that I can't help but give Peyton and the offensive staff as well some of the credit for clearly making adjustments that allowed Breeze to get in a rhythm to find some of that success. That is true. I'll tell you where it might have turned to some extent was when Andrew Sandejo got hurt. So he gets knocked out on a block or something. Michael I, I don't Thomas, exactly what it was. It Michael was Thomas, Thomas blocked him. It, it might was have with been. Thomas, and I think Sandejo was being Sandejo too. Yeah, and so he gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Then things have to shuffle around. Now Anthony Harris comes in the game yep. and ends up getting the third down and one stop, which we'll talk about in a second. But uh, that changed everything. Not only from the fact that Sandejo had been the starter all year long and they had had no injuries, but also because Xavier Rhodes was really upset. He was throwing his helmet. He was freaking out. He was extremely angry. Your guy Terrence angry. clearly pulled him aside and said, stop it, knock it off. But Peyton and Drew Brees saw that, yes. and the very next play, they went right against him and threw a touchdown. True. That was a big part of it. Um, I, th- I think the other part was just Brees not being shaken, even one tiny little percentage point that they got to on the drive where they kicked the, the field goal. Mm-hmm. They get to fourth down and... 12 or something. I mean, it, it's, yes, it, it's a great it's a play. Bad situation. And yep. they knew exactly who to attack at that moment. They went after Mackenzie Alexander on that play. Uh-huh. And Alexander now is a pretty good player. But at that point, he was completely unproven. And it was just a rotational player with Terrence Newman. He's on the field. I'm not sure exactly why he's on the field there. And they go after him. Maybe they had a dime package. I don't remember. But he's on the field there, mm-hmm. and they go after him and hit Willie Sneed. And it's one of the best passes in the most clutch, calm quarterback throws ever. I mean, the, the, the noise it's in that place. On that play, yeah. yeah, fourth and ten. The noise in that place at that point is every bit as loud as it was when I was in New Orleans last year. Yep. On the the final drive by the Vikings, where the crowd is trying to you know intimidate the Vikings offense, and that throw 
is incredible. And the one that gets left behind is he also threw a touchdown to Elvin Kamara over Eric Kendricks, yep. where Kendricks' coverage is so perfect, and he drops it right in there to Elvin Kamara. I mean, Breeze right there. Not that I was ever like doubting Drew right. Breeze, right. but I just went, I am in awe of what you are doing in front of me. And it can't be forgotten that Sean Payton had Willie Sneed throw a pass amidst all of that. Yes. He had his wide receiver throw a pass as Breeze is on fire and shredding the Vikings And that's what defense. I'm saying is, Pey- is Payton had guts or has guts. Oh, yes. Payton has guts. Yes, for sure. Uh, I also forgot, and Joe Buck accidentally gave this guy credit for the block punt before he realized he was wrong. But part of the key to the block punt that Quigley had, at least from the pressure standpoint, was Taysom Hill. Oh, I didn't and, remember And that. I forgot. And Buck's like, yeah, is this Taysom Hill is a pretty good player, and Sean Payton's convinced that he can someday be a starting quarterback. And I had forgotten that Taysom Hill even played in that game. Yeah, uh, that's right, because he was a special teamer at the He the pressure point. on him. Uh, speaking of that particular play, that is my favorite of the entire game because <laughs> the that's the same night, the same <laughs> night in Green Bay that Nick Easton got hurt. You and Cronin, Kevin McDermott got hurt yes, as well, and the backup long snapper from Alaska that they brought in forgot to go left or right, whichever he was supposed to do, yep. went the wrong way, yep. and that's what ended up leading to the block punt. And Mike Prefer that week said he'd never seen it before. Never, ever seen a long snapper go the wrong way. Because my understanding of the language is it's something like red is right yep. and, I don't know, lollipop is left. I mean, it's just like you can't mess this up. And he ends up going the wrong way, and that ends up kind of getting the ball rolling to this. A few other things from just watching it. Um, Adam Thielen, his mm. catch where he breaks his back. Mm-hmm. is truly unbelievable. And they had Marshawn Lattimore on him that night. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting choice to put Lattimore, who was at the top of his game as a rookie, on Thielen. And Thielen still smoked him on a couple plays. And there was a fade pass that Keenum threw to him where he, I believe, got interfered on and still went Which up quarter? over his shoulder. Recall? I, I want to say that it was in the fourth quarter yes. where Keenum threw it. the fade over his shoulder. And by, by the way, that's a pass I can guarantee you that Kirk Cousins will, would not throw. I agree. That's a Keenum special, and I I also can guarantee you as great as that pass play was and, and the fact that Thielen, who I believe, so if I'm correct on the play that we're talking about, if it's the same play, they threw two flags. Thielen was held. Yes. Something else drew a flag, and Thielen had no chance to catch the ball. He catches the ball, and I guarantee you that Zim bristled about it. Because it was a throw yeah, that was, it was incredible. Just it, up, yep. it was incredibly dicey. Yep. But they threw not one but two flags, and Thielen still caught the ball. Yeah. So that I mean, he gets left behind in this because Diggs becomes the star, and Diggs had an amazing game too. Uh, he had before that he had five catches and a, a huge amount of yardage. So they both dominated in that game, mm-hmm. as you hope that they would do, and and as they did. Uh, that season all the time in that year. But Thielen getting hurt probably impacted them the following week at Philadelphia because he did break his back. Those two catches, though, really stood out in my mind. And then the guy that you and I and the locker room praised over and over and over and over again, and then the Vikings got rid of. And this is a few... I think you're going on. A a little bit of the postscript written in here already, but 
Jarius Wright, a 27-yard catch on, I think, third down. And if it's not third down, it's still an amazing play. It's a big-time throw and a big-time catch for a guy who always knew how to get open in the right spot. And I remember looking at this, something like 14 of his 17 catches were on third down that year. And he just made a huge play at a huge time that ended up setting up the Kai Forbath field goal Mm -hmm. that you and I are still in amazement of with the Forbath field goal. The four, yes. Well, the four bath thing, that actually, I, I think of all the things that I went back and watched last night and thought about, I think the four bath one might amaze me the most. This guy makes a 53 yard field goal in a time where the script for every Vikings kicker, if there's a script, a playoff script, right? It says you miss wide left. He also had a 49 yard in the same game. Yes. But, but the script does say that, right? Gary Anderson, yep. Blair Walsh, the script says, You don't make this. And Kai Forbath, who, yes, had some struggles at times on PATs, I understand that, comes in and, as you just said, makes two field goals, including a crucial 53-yarder that saved the day and could have actually, if the defense had stopped the Saints going back down the field, have been the game-winning points. And you decide to get cute and go with a rookie draft pick. What's amazing about Kai Forbath is... For Washington, in his career, he made 60 of 69, which is 87% field goals. Mm -hmm. And then as a Viking, 47 of 53. Last year as a Dallas Cowboy, 10 for 10. All time, he's 87%. And they just move on from the guy. After he hit that field goal. And draft another kicker who supposedly had a bigger leg. Well, how much farther are you kicking it than 53 would be my question. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> I mean, if, the, yeah. if this guy can make a 53-yard field goal in that situation, and that ultimately cost them a game and cost them making the playoffs the following year because they decided to move on from somebody who had been as clutch as clutch can be in a spot where, at that point, there is a minute and 29 seconds left in that game. Yes. So then he makes the field <laughs> right. goal. And immediately Drew Brees goes to work, and mm-hmm. he hits the 4th and 10. It sets them up. Mm-hmm. And this is where I'll forever question Sean Payton, is they've got third down and one. They get one yard, the game is over. Mm-hmm. There is a saying that I've had on Twitter for years now, and I guess I'll have to change it because Linval is gone. But I'll always tweet, why would you run the ball at Linval Joseph on third or fourth and one? I looked at the numbers using... Pro football reference, the Vikings on third or fourth and one, best team in the NFL since Zimmer came into the league, and it's not even close. It's by a lot. And that and that year, you couldn't run on And, and Linval was l- legit a defensive MVP caliber player yep. that year. That's the best year of his career. Nothing else is even close. Yep. And you run it up the middle. Anthony Harris hits a gap, stops the runner. And I just, why would you not have Drew Brees, a guy who I know he threw picks in this game, but just never threw picks and would throw the ball away if there was any problem. You know that Brees isn't going to do something stupid. He's Drew Brees. Right. And you decide you're going to run at the most dominant player on the Vikings defense. It just There were a few things where you went, this stadium does stuff to people's brains. I don't know what it is, but other coaches the don't they do the choke, same thing. They do weird things. They and make why not, crazy mistakes. In retrospect, why not just have Breeze attempt to dump the ball off to Kamara? Right. Yeah, a screen pass. Yeah. And, and then if it's not there, he just throws it away. Or a, a slant to uh, Michael Thomas, and if it's covered, you just throw it in the dirt or whatever. You, you have all sorts of options there, and you decide you're going to stuff it up the middle, and they shut it down. And after the game in the locker room. I I had this 
clever plan. Like, I'm going to write about that play because that's the forgotten play. And every player I tried to ask, they were like, I don't know. I don't know what just happened. I can't talk about that. I don't know anything. So I didn't end up writing the story. But I have thought about that a lot of that mistake of trying to hammer the ball up the middle and taking it out of the hands of your best player. Yep. Sort of, in a way, a similar mistake to not giving it to Marshawn. Like, if you're not giving the ball to the best player at the right time, right. what are you doing? But the amazing thing about this entire conversation is the amount of action and and lead changes and all of those things that took place in a final 301. Yes. In watching yes. it, it's still hard to get my head around even knowing this now, Matthew, yes. that they're going to that the Saints are going to get the ball back and they're going to drive. And then the Vikings are going to get the at some point in time just from a clock standpoint, mentally, it stops making sense. It reminded me of the Super Bowl with Arizona and Pittsburgh where the first half of the game you're like Okay, I guess Pittsburgh's winning a Super Bowl. Who cares? And then the the final two or three minutes is so wild that you remember it as one of the best. Now, the play, mm-hmm. this is where I started writing as soon as they got the ball back. I started writing a column, Case Keenum leads the Vikings to a magical victory. Because my thought process was, if he doesn't, no one's reading this anyway. Vikings fans are going to be so mad after going 13-3 and and losing a playoff game at home in grand fashion, blowing a 17-point. They're going to be so mad. Yes. Everyone's going to bed immediately. Nobody is reading my article. So I started or writing. Drinking. I started writing about his game and how there was the big comeback, and then you know Keenum leads the, the victory. And there's a couple of throws that kind of go nowhere. Yep. And as soon as he lets that one go, I saw Marcus Williams coming over there and my thought was, oh my gosh, Kai is going to have to kick like a 60-yard field goal. Because I thought he was going to catch it and get tackled, and that was it. And as soon as he goes flying by, yes. that place was the loudest I've ever heard in any game I've ever covered. I mean, just like an explosion. Where ball. does that rank to in your uh, career, either in this business or just as a fan going to games? Where does that rank as far as you being absolutely shocked in the split second that you say to yourself, there's no one there? Because I just remember yeah. looking, because yep. there's supposed to be somebody there. Yes, yeah. Like if you're Stefan Diggs, in your brain, there had to be that split second of, what? Yeah, yes. And then he took off. Yep, exactly. And I think it was even for him too when he went flying by of, oh my gosh, I've got to run this. Because their whole thing on the sideline was get out of bounds, make a catch, get out of bounds, set up a field goal. And, you know, of course, if you've got, the entire open air, you've got to jog into the end zone. Right. Uh, but no, there was definitely that moment when he went flying by where it, the whole place explodes because everyone all at the same exact second realizes there's no one there. And oddly enough, the same thing happened in New Orleans on Delvin Cook's fumble that was not a fumble, where it was the same reaction for me. I just went, I can't believe this. I, the, and I probably even said it out loud and no one would have heard me because the, right. the place was so loud. So then... He scores the touchdown. He throws his helmet, and I'm thinking, are they going to penalize? And they for, did. Yeah, the the it, official right, throws did. the flag. Yeah, and it just didn't matter. And then right. quietly goes and picks it up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> throws what, the flag. What, what would be the penalty there? Would you? It would be maybe assessed on the extra point that never happened. Yeah. So it wouldn't have mattered anyway. No, no. Or the kick assessed on the kickoff that never happened. No, the play, the yeah. play at that point is dead. The problem was the practice squad player who was so yes. excited he went on the yes. field. Caleb as the Jones. Play. That could that would have been the problem. If Caleb that's Jones, not a dead play at that point. If he had left the field, and I don't know, it's possible he did this. If he had left the sideline and gone onto the field before Diggs scored, 
you might have been able to say that they had broken the rules and that would be a penalty. Correct. Uh, but he runs out, he grabs Stefan Diggs, and then in the locker room, certainly nothing like I've ever seen before. Just all sorts of people crying. Uh, B-Rob has his kid on his lap and he's just in tears. And But my favorite part is Harrison Smith. Because I went over to Harrison Smith and it's just, Harrison, this is crazy. What's your reaction? Well, you know, we... We won. That's great, but we got a game next week. It's like, are you kidding me, Harrison? Hitman is at that point really got to like, okay, Hitman is the perfect name for you because the craziest bleep ever just happened out there for any of us that any of us have ever seen. And you're like, well, you know, we got to go on and play the Eagles. So he wasn't wrong. No, he was and not. They, and he was right about them not being prepared for that. He certainly was. Do you, uh, in in terms of the postscript for the Minneapolis Miracle, do you? by that they were so emotionally drained after that that they couldn't play in Philadelphia. I never have. I've never liked that. I've never liked when they've said it. We had a bad week of practice and everything else. Every team who has one of those wins loses the next week. You were up 7 nothing in the Philly game and you had your chances and it just and you got out schemed and you got outplayed. I never really liked that as an explanation for what happened. I believe that in the second half of that game, the Saints definitely exposed some things that Doug Peterson and the Eagles picked up on and exposed as well. You know, it's weird it's weird to say cuz I'm not a big fan of this guy, but you're probably right, Sandejo being hurt uh, and they played the, him the yeah, next week. He, that he, was but, a huge mistake. But he was a shell yep. of himself by that point in yep. time. Um there were it, it's funny if you do go back and watch that game now, Matthew. There were real telltale signs, though, of problems that in the excitement and the immediate aftermath of that game, you probably just didn't think about or you buried. Yeah. But now, three years or so after the fact, when you watch that game back, because that first half, they just owned it. Yep. They just completely, and then they it started to disintegrate and fall apart. And and what I'm trying to think of is, is that the first game when we did get what trended to become the new Xavier Rhodes, which is he got hurt in that game. Yep, he yep. was really mad about the Sandejo play. Uh, and he, then he was never the same after that. No, and then that's yep. sort of, but that sort of became him, right? Yep. Get hurt once a game, meltdown probably once a month. Yep. And as I recall, unless I'm wrong here, that was the first game where you said to yourself, what's going on with 29? Because yeah. he's ordinarily not like this. Yep. And then he became like that. Definitely. But he yeah, I like think that. it was a multitude of things. And I do think that there were definite, there were definite areas of that team that were exposed in the final two quarters by the Saints that the Eagles were smart enough to probably pick up on. And that's what's hard for Vikings fans, I'm sure, about watching that game back is it represented the absolute peak of the mountain of the Mike Zimmer era. But there was another side of the mountain. I mean, that after that, a lot of the things, I mean, whether it's the kicking thing or whether it's Pat Shermer leaving because of it or a, a number of different things, not sticking with Case Keenum because you thought he was going to fall apart. Uh, there was the Teddy Bridgewater thing where they wanted to toll his contract and he didn't want to do that. And one, yeah. it, it, like so much happened after that that took you down the other side that you haven't reached the other side at the bottom of the mountain, of course. This team just went 10 and 6. But it was more of, yeah, you're probably never going to get there again after that. And, and what happened in Philadelphia really did represent the start of the decline. What happens if they lose that Saints game? I still think that history plays out pretty much the same. I think that they signed Kirk Cousins, and I think they have the same problems as they did. I, 
I mean, Mike Zimmer is keeping his job still. You went thirteen and three. You're yeah. not getting fired. I don't know how much it's a brutal loss is different. Yeah, it's oh yeah, you blow a seventeen point lead. It's not good, but you're not firing the coach at yeah, that point. So. I, I agree. All right. Well, we went late to the break, but this was very fun. So let's uh, take a break, and when we return, I want to talk about Gary Kubiak a little with you. Um, because I wrote a huge article about him at scorenorth.com that you can see there. And uh, we need to discuss if Gary can keep it all together here when we return on Purple Daily. We could all use a little help while quarantined, and thanks to our many great local partners, Score North Listening Rewards is here to help with some cash relief. All month long, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North mobile app, register, and you could be a winner. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Just want to let you know about one of the partners we have here at Score North. We continue to partner with Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to help make sure our area children continue to receive the meals and care that they need during the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks to Louisa Rise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Louisa Rise Minnesota Twins jersey. Your contribution enables Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to continue to provide critical services to families dealing with a child's health crisis. Those services include overnight accommodations, complimentary meals, fully stocked pantries, laundry, and more. To donate, please visit scorenorth.com keyword donate. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the week of Purple Daily. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad. So you had a few more things that you wanted to mention in terms of the uh, Minneapolis Miracle game that we watched last night back on Fox Sports 1. You had a couple of notes there yes, that sir. we didn't get to. Yes, o- offensively uh, among the starters for the Vikings that day, six are now gone. Diggs, Morgan, Keenum, Murray, um, Remmers, and Berger are gone from the offense. From the defense, your guy. Tom Johnson started. He's gone. Miss you, Tom. Linval Joseph. Griffin. (laughs) And then in the defensive backfield, the Vikings actually opened that game in nickel. Waynes is gone. Rhodes is gone. Newman is gone. Sandejo is gone. So Harrison Smith. And Alexander, who also played that game as well. Harrison Smith's the only one in the second game. So left from that defense, from the starting 11 in that game against the Saints, are Daniil Hunter, Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr, Harrison Smith. So you asked me a question in the break that I've been racking my brain about. Is Case Keenum's 13-3 season with a miracle at the end, uh, is that the best pop-up season from a guy that had essentially no real career before that? I'm going to say it's at least second. The guy became a a Hall of Famer eventually. But Kurt Warner, going from the grocery store to the Super Bowl, is the best pop-up season from someone you've never heard of who comes out of absolutely, absolutely nowhere. But then he he sustained that success. The weird thing with Keenum is unless you were Case, Case's mom or Case's dad, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not joking you, Yeah. as that whole thing unfolded, okay, I think if you went to Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad, Zimmer or Spielman and said, come here a second, do you think this is going to be sustained by this guy? I think all of us would have said, probably not. No. no. We talked no. about it all year. No. But, I mean, think about that. Warner gets his shot because Trent Green gets hurt. And, yes, there were some rocky years subsequently well after that. But he also became, in the short term, a dominant quarterback for a period of time. Right, yeah. And all because of that, yep. is in Canton. But the weirdest thing about the Keenum story was, as it was unfolding, 
I think all of us were like, this ain't going to last, but it's yeah. really special right now. Because there were so many signs of it. You know, Thielen and Diggs were making every catch on every 50-50 ball. And the defense was number one. It wasn't just okay or pretty good or, yeah. oh, they're good at home. They went down to Atlanta against an Atlanta team that had been in the Super Bowl the year before and was starting to get hot. And they destroyed Atlanta's offense. They shut him down completely. And even though Keenum didn't play well, he kind of came through at the end like they needed him to. And the defense bailed out Keenum anytime he had a slow half. So even I remember against Cincinnati, he had a slow half, and there were a few people chanting, at least loud enough for us to hear in the press box, Teddy, Teddy, let's you know play Teddy. I mean, that's how much people thought this wasn't going to last, that, yeah. that I think there were even people in the locker room who thought, mm, maybe we should just put in Teddy, because he had been practicing, and even though he wasn't anywhere close to like back up to full speed, they thought he's probably the better quarterback. That too? He did, yes. This was revealed by Everson Griffin okay. that Zimmer... Ask the leadership, whatever it is, council or something, yeah. if they thought they should stick with Case Keenum. And they said, well, we probably should because we're winning and you know we keep rolling. And so they decided to stick with him. And from that moment on, there was always this nervousness about it. Anytime he would have a bad half, in Carolina, he has a fumble and uh, maybe an interception too, but at least a fumble. He gets sacked a bunch of times. He can't lead the game-winning comeback after... Uh, what Cam Newton has something like a 70-yard run, and they go ahead yes. late in that game. That he can't leave the comeback. Yep. And after that game, in the locker room, there was a lot of anger and a lot of frustration. And some of it, I think, was pointed at the quarterback because there were a number of inaccurate throws in that game. And the receivers, I just got the sense, no one ever said this out loud, I got the sense that they were nervous that it was going to eventually come to an end, the magic carpet ride. And it did Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. And after that, there were a number of people who I believe felt like they knew it was coming, that that they knew at some point Keenum's magic was going to run out. And that's what was going to happen is that they were going to lose 38-7. And it did. But how could you bench Keenum when he beat the Rams and he beat Atlanta? I mean, just like he, it, this wasn't a, a Kirk Cousins season where the best team he beats is nine and seven and we congratulate him. He was, they were beating good teams that year. How much do you think in his heart, Zimmer desperately wanted to do it, but knew he couldn't to bench Keenum? Oh, I yeah, I think that I, that was a very strong pull. For I him. have never, I have never covered a coach who spoke that way of his starting quarterback that often. Yep, unless the starting quarterback was incompetent. I have never heard before he has a horseshoe around his neck. Yeah, never heard anything like Which that. Is not exactly what Mike wanted to say, but because he was in public, said another thing that's weird about it too is that Zimmer obsessed over turnovers. And was, he's got to stop making those throws. He's got, because in Washington, this is where it really started. In Washington, Teddy is active for the game. Teddy's on TV crying. He's finally active. He's, he's back. He's the backup quarterback for that game. And Keenum throws a couple of touchdowns to Thielen and Diggs. Where you just go, all right, Washington, nice, nice of you to not show up today. We'll see you next time. But they come back in the game because Keenum throws a couple of extremely reckless interceptions. Mm -hmm. And even though he didn't do it often, that scared the pants off Zimmer because he knew that at some point he was going to do that again and it was going to be against a better team than Washington. And I think if you could now go back and actually combine the arms and brains of Keenum and Cousins and have one that was 50-50, it would be ideal. 
Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Keenum would make these somewhat reckless plays at times, and, and they drove Mike crazy, but Cousins probably does not come far enough to that of, make the throw, man. But I think Zimmer likes Cousins more in that sense, because as much as the fumbles might drive Mike crazy, I really think that watching Mike in press conferences and operate, Case Keenum's style of play might, if Mike were to give you an honest list, Mike Zimmer's least favorite quarterbacks to watch, I think Case Keenum might top it. Because it drove him nuts. It, I, yes. Yep. Because it scared him so much. And they were winning yep. games, and he was saying, well, we can't do that. Yep. Yep. And and that's why we were saying on the air, because we went to every press conference and everything else, we were saying, and I just remember this being a huge fight, we were saying, like, look, they don't believe in Keenum as their long-term quarterback. Enjoy it while it lasts, but this guy's probably not going to be here. And the Keenum defenders really were sold on how good he was. He's got a big heart, and he's a baller, and he's like Favre. I remember somebody in the locker room asked Keenum, like, were you a huge Favre fan, man? Because you kind of play like him. And I was like, okay. Aikman, Aikman <laughs> yeah. on the telecast says exactly that. Yes, he yes. Says, yeah, you got a little bit Just, of Brett Favre to him. Uh, but Aikman okay. then also, but then Troy starts talking about the downsides of that. Yeah, and that's what we eventually and saw yes, in, in the Miracle Game. And, that's, and that was another part of it, too, because... I think about this all the time for even the most recent win in New Orleans and how different we would be talking about Kirk Cousins if they lose that coin toss and Cousins never touches the ball because Breeze just goes and scores a touchdown. We are saying, can you believe they didn't trust Kirk Cousins to go score more in that game and they kept handing off to Delvin when the entire Saints team knew he was going to get the ball and they just punted and... And can you believe Zimmer's defense melted down after playing so well? We gave yeah. Zimmer so much credit for that game, but the defense melted down. Yes. And they kind of bailed themselves out with a very rare uh, Drew Brees uh, fumble. But still, they came back again against Zimmer. And if they go down and score and they go down and win that game, we're saying Cousins absolutely can't be extended. He can't. If he can't win a playoff game in two years, I, I think even approaching the extension would have been more difficult if he hadn't won that game. And I think of the same thing with the miracle game of just how much different it could have been for in, in a few different ways. If Keenum doesn't throw the interception and they end up just steamrolling the Saints, if he drives down the field on that on that play and they win by 30, mm-hmm. like do they still go to Philadelphia and get killed? Does he play better? Is the decision harder? But when he threw that interception and then threw a similar one against the Eagles that goes for a pick six, that was it for him. It was over for Case Keenum. I might have even said to you in the press box, were you there in Philly? You were in Philly. Yeah, yeah of course. Right. right. Yeah, we were stuck in Philly yes. for like eight days Of together. course. How could I forget? In the same room. You putting your shoes on the TV table. I like to have my shoes Don't ready for the next day. I understand that. And us buying socks. Well, the uh, socks were necessary, okay? Yeah. And they, for whatever... I still got those socks. They're you nice. still have the Eagles uh, championship shirt? Yeah, darn right I do. It's a very nice t-shirt. But if they go there and he plays really well and they still lose, let's yep. say they lose 37-30, yep. and he doesn't throw that pick against New Orleans. Like, if those if those things happen, I wonder if they look at him differently. And no, if, no, he's gone. You think he's still gone? He drove Zimmer crazy. Yeah. But but here, but here to go, go back to my question about if they had lost that game to the Saints... And they go get Cousins. I think Mike and possibly Rick, but Mike for sure is gone after 2018. Because right. if you lo- if you blow a 17 rip lead to the Saints in a playoff game off 13 and three, and now you're one and done, 
and then come back with Cousins and go 8-7-1 and one and miss the playoffs, Mike Zimmer's not your coach in 2019. And interesting about that is I remember Courtney and I and Robert Mays from The Ringer, he came up in 2018 training camp, and we were talking with him about the 2018 team. And both of us said, you know, we could see this being a Jack Del Rio thing where the guy has an unbelievable, the head coach has an unbelievable season the year before, and then all of a sudden doesn't have a job a year from now because there's so much pressure. And I wrote an article about this last year because it will always be fascinating to me mm-hmm. how much 2017 has shaped everything after from signing Cousins instead of sticking with Keenum, sticking with Bridgewater, drafting Lamar Jackson. They push all their chips to the middle of the table mm-hmm. on Kirk Cousins. I mean, that's the first thing. But even other stuff that they did, like getting rid of Kai Forbath and uh, bringing in Sheldon Richardson and, and signing all these guys to contract extensions that were massive and, as we're seeing now, somewhat reckless um, because you just can't pay everyone, and that's what they decided to do because they thought they were going to win the Super Bowl in 2018 only because of what had happened in 2017. They thought they could repeat it. And you see the ripple effects to even small things. The Kari Vedvik thing, like bringing in the random kicker with a fifth-round pick that didn't make any sense when Dan Bailey's one of the best to ever do it. You just see the pressure that is on them. And even going into New Orleans last year, I had a conversation with someone in New Orleans where I felt like... If they get killed today, Zimmer's done in New Orleans. I think you're this right. Year. And and that all stems from the pressure created by 2017. Yeah, yeah. And and so I, I think the stuff with Mike to me really begins as far as the uh, the uh, trickle down effect in 16, right? With Teddy's knee, you trade for Bradford, and there was just from that day, from the day that Teddy's knee went on. It went from feeling like there was pretty much complete control of the Vikings' destiny by the brass to an air of, and I guess in some ways rightfully so, Matthew, panic. What can we do? What can we do? And and the Bradford trade to me was exactly right because you cannot take a team that was pretty damn good and say, and now Sean Hill. <laughs> right. But Sean I, Hill would not have made it through. I four remember weeks. writing um in training camp in 2016, and this was not this is not predicting that Teddy was going to have his knee explode. But I remember writing, You're really going to training camp with Sean Hill <laughs> as your backup, and you're not going to go get somebody else who if and the assumption on my part at that point was let's say Teddy gets hurt four games or three yeah, games. Right, you need somebody to win two, not sixteen games. Right, right. But I remember thinking this is a really good team to basically have a quarterbacks coach as your backup quarterback. Yeah, but that sort of yeah. started. But sixteen to me sort of started this air of of at times panic and panicked moves, and the, the four bath one. And I know it's not huge, but how much of of uh, if if you were to illustrate the history of this administration for the Vikings and the weird stuff they do. I think the kicker is such a good starting point (laughs) because it's so unnecessary. To your point, the Vedvik thing. You traded away a draft pick that, by the way, just got used in a pretty darn good trade by Baltimore. Yep. Um, You traded away a draft pick because you had decided to get cute with Carlson previously, which you didn't need to do. I think if you had just let Kai Forbath do his job, yeah, he would have missed a few more PATs. It happens. Go for two. Yeah, right. It, what it really tells you is that the pressure that is sort of lingering now 
over this retooling, rebuilding, mm-hmm. and the fact that we don't know anything about whether Zimmer and Spielman have contract extensions. I'm going on the assumption that they don't, since we haven't heard anything about them. Uh, it 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 is a it is a long build and and there's a lot to it that's happened, but it it all starts with really setting the bar and the expectations really high in 2015. And so when you go from 2015, then believe you have a playoff team in 2016, you get a ton of injuries, the quarterback situation, everything else, but then come out in 2017, have Bradford have one of the great games in Viking history as a quarterback, have Keenum lead you to where you wanted to go, that everyone in the organization was convinced that this is who we really are, not that was a magic carpet ride that won't happen again, and we need to continue to think of the future when we do stuff. It was... You know, let's let's draft a running back in the second. The running back's great, but that's sort of a uh oh, we need a running back right. sort of move after 2016. Everything right. is reactionary after, as opposed to sort of a bigger picture, long view. And in a lot of ways, I don't blame them for that because that's the situation that you're in with this much pressure and this high of expectations. And I did want to mention before we wrapped up about my article about Gary Kubiak that even bringing him in, which was a great move has this same air to it of, oh, we need some somebody to help out this offense. Somebody Zimmer can get along with. Who are we going to bring in? <laughs> That's we've, about, got, yes. we've got to get Kubiak. <laughs> yep. And so for my article, I talked to uh, three former Kubiak quarterbacks, including our friend Sage, Steve Berline, too, and our buddy Gus Frott, as well as asked Wade Phillips about it and, and Rick Spielman at the Combine and so forth. And I came away with... If this season somehow turns out to be another special, magical season and kind of catches us all by surprise, Mm -hmm. it will be because Gary Kubiak held this thing together. That that is the feeling that I came away from Indianapolis with after talking to some people and with his former players, is that that might end up turning out the thing. Even though we feel like the pressure is immense right now and the expectations are still high, but they're in a very bad situation with the salary cap, mm-hmm. and they need draft picks to succeed, and all these things that point you toward you're going to be disappointing next year, if they do succeed, it will be because of that guy. I think that with playoffs being expanded, they definitely make the playoffs. My issue with them, I think overall, from a bigger picture perspective now, is this, though. When come when do we get the admission that they need to hit a reset? Because this continual trying for it, and Gary's yeah. great. Gary's fantastic. Gary's really good. But if you make the playoffs, and let's say you win a game again, and then you get eventually, just like the salary cap has now, all this comes back to bite you in the butt at some point in time. So when's the admission that we took our shot? We tried with Kirk, mm-hmm. and the first, the first Kirk contract, I'm never going to criticize. They took a shot. Yep. I actually yep. appreciate it. I think Keenum was a one and done. But now to continue to try to beat this door down, and now to me, there's a padlock on that door. There's, you know, that, that door is, is secured. It's what I don't understand. And, to, and it's also why you're supposed to have a GM to identify when you go to the coaching staff and say, Gentlemen, this shot is done. We're going to try again, but yeah. it's not going to be right now. Do you think that the fact that they got there once would be worth continuing to do that retooling that is just inevitable with this team with the people in charge that are in charge right now? Mm. I think it's hard to do a second reboot, but it's not totally unprecedented. 
even Baltimore looked like they were I don't, about to fade before they got Lamar Jackson. I don't know that there's that there are certain very important people who are in charge of this team who are with the times they need to be. If I had more faith in in the direction that they were taking this team as football evolves, I would probably say, yeah, why not try it? Harbaugh, right? Yeah, John Harbaugh yep. adapts; he changes. Yep, that's awesome. That's great. Uh, if I thought that the coaching staff was on board with, here's what we need to do now, I'd say, okay, give them a shot. Do I think that they are willing to, to do that? And football people, by the way, who are stubborn, as you know, Collar, are among the most stubborn people in the world. Oh, yes. Like, yes, they don't, course. they're yeah. not going, They those people don't say, ah, yeah, let's change her up. Yeah. So I guess my answer is no. All right, last thing before we wrap up for the week on Purple Daily, and you'll be here, Mackie and Jed with Rami. Think anything happens this weekend? I've been waiting all week. Like no, no moves, no, no aggression. No, so. no. Please, no. I know, <laughs> I know. But you know what? They're holding the draft, and good for them. Emergency podcasts will happen though if the Vikings do something. Nor to find me because I will be around and you will be around. So that will for sure happen. All right. Well, appreciate all of you listening this week. We get closer to the draft. More draft sims. More draft breakdowns. Sage is grinding the tape as we speak. Lots to come as we lead up to the draft here on Purple Daily. We'll catch you next week. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.